0: The Athletic.
1: Hello, I'm Dan Bardell. Welcome to 1874 The Athletics podcast, all about Aston Villa Football Club. With me as always to break down the weekly Villa news is our club correspondent Greg Evans and as we look back on a disappointing visit to Vicarage Road we'll also be joined by TIFO Football's JJ Bulls to talk about life after Grealish a little bit later on. But to read Greg's match review very much along the same lines you'll need a subscription to The Athletic so here's the latest deal. The Athletic are at the moment offering a 33% discount on new subscriptions. You'll get the same great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, such as Greg Evans, as well as ad-free versions of all their podcasts, including this one. So just get yourself to theathletic.com slash Villapod right now for a third off the price of a subscription. That's theathletic.com
2: slash Villapod. Good morning, Greg. How are you? Morning, Dan. I'm very good, thank you. Yeah, thank you for squeezing my name in there uh, alongside all the uh, great writers there at the Athletic. Very grateful for that, mate. I'm just reading the script,
1: mate. I'm just reading what's what's been put in front of me. (laughs) It was good to be back on Saturday. Well, it was good to be back until the game kicked off. I'd, I'd had a great day before and after, but as always, it is the match that lets you down. 18 months without an away day, and that hasn't changed. You were back where you're where you belong as well, Greg, in the press box.
2: How was it? Um, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd like to hear a little bit from from you. Don't know what, what the away experience was like. So, I mean, I'll quickly wrap up what it was like in the press box. But um, I got really, really excited about 10 minutes before kickoff. Um, and like, because oh, I thought the Watford fans were fantastic, obviously. Um, back in the championship, you know, they were really up for it. The Villa fans to, to the right of me were, were singing and um uh, really getting behind Ashley Young in the warm-up drills. And I was just like, wow, football fans are back. This is amazing. Um, there was a real buzz about, ev- you know, everybody was just so happy to be back there. Um, and I was looking forward to what was going to happen. Unfortunately, the result obviously didn't um, go in Villa's Villa's favour. Uh, I feel like it was not quite as bad as it, was looking at one point you know when they were 3-0 down I thought wow this is a this is a really really bad day but the way it actually finished wasn't too bad but what what was it like to be back with the fans because I mean it, it looked like well everybody I spoke to went said they had a great day meeting up with everyone again but they were yeah. just annoyed at the result really.
1: Yeah that aspect's so good like just walking into a pub and we took over at a Weatherspoons about five ten minutes away from the ground it was just, just full of Villa fans singing and having like not seen each other. There's people there I haven't seen for 18 months. You know, there's people as well that you know. You know, sometimes don't even know their name, but you see them every time you're on an away game or you haven't seen for for 18 months and you embrace them like they're your absolute best friend. You know, like, it's, it's just ridiculous, isn't it? There's nothing better than going on an away day and seeing people that, that you know, people that you don't know, getting talking to, to new people. So for me, it was, it was absolutely brilliant. And then the game kicked off. And, and a half time I was thinking... Bloody hell! It's, it's it's good to be back, isn't it? In in a sarcastic manner, but you yeah, like you say they ended the game quite well, but in a, in a way that annoyed me even more because you know I didn't. We scored t- twice. McGinn's goal was excellent as well, but I didn't really celebrate either of them because they didn't really mean anything. So that was a bit of a disappointment because you've waited to be in a jam-packed away end for so long. You're in there and you haven't really had anything to celebrate properly. You know those those moments that just take you away on an away days where you lose yourself a little bit. There just wasn't anything like that, which that
2: was disappointing. Yeah, it's, it's, it is, isn't it? Because if you score two goals away from home, usually you think at least one of those, um, you're going to go a bit wild, aren't you? But look, you know, Villa can't be giving away three goals again. Um, certainly not to, to to teams that are going to probably be finishing in the bottom half of the table, um, especially if they want to kick on this year. I, I was actually looking you know, at, we won't focus too much on Watford because this is a Villa podcast, but... I was really impressed with Watford. I thought they were great. I don't know how long that will continue for them because I think they're probably riding on a bit of momentum. The fact that they were back really early for pre-season, um, you know, the middle of June compared to Villa. I mean, look, you know, when when, when the majority of Watford's players were back training um, during pre-season, the Euros were still on. I mean, Jack, Jack Grealish and Tyra Mings, um, we don't talk about Jack Grealish. <laughs> yeah, we can't mention him again, but, you know, they, they, they... Although, actually, we've got a piece coming up later where we're <laughs> going to be talking about life after him, so we're going to struggle not to speak about him. <laughs> on that note, we really are going to stop talking about Jack Grealish soon. And and for those readers and subscribers who are who are, who are getting frustrated with me writing about Jack Grealish, it will end now, this week, I promise. So <laughs> we're, we're, we're all moving on. Um, But, yeah, look, the point I was trying to make was a lot of Villas players... um we uh, were either still at the Euros, recovering from the Euros or the, or the Copper America um, when Watford's players were, were back training you know, for pre-season. So, look, it's not an excuse, but they did have a little bit more preparation than Villa. Um, it felt, when you look at it now, it feels like Villa's pre-season was so disjointed, wasn't it, with, mm. gre- you know, the Grealish saga with... It's a bit
1: unavoidable, I would say, in some ways, but yes, I completely yeah, agree. Yeah, I mean,
2: it. look, you know, you had the Grealish saga, which, which, which clouded the club a little bit, um, John Terry obviously leaving, Richard O'Kelly leaving towards the end, um, but but actually Richard sticking around was a good thing because he helped prepare the team um, during that period. Um, and then a couple of the friendlies were were changed and stuff, weren't they? So it just felt like Villa weren't as prepared as maybe they should have been. Uh, perhaps that reflected in in the performance a little bit. Um, I firmly believe this team will will, will go on and and. Um, yeah, continue to pick up results, good results in the future. But it was a bit of a rude awakening, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, that was the biggest thing for me is that Watford did look fitter. I must admit, I didn't know that they were back in, in pre-season so early. So it actually makes complete sense now that they were fitter. But we just looked miles off the pace in, in the first half. And uh, I mean, I think Watford will go straight back down. I, I, I just think that, that, that they will. I think they obviously had the momentum on, on the first day. A lot of home teams won this weekend as well, which I thought would happen. With the fans being back, but Villa just looked uncomfortable in the first half. I'd say the whole back four looked uncomfortable on the ball and off the ball. And that was that was a bit worrying.
2: Yeah, it wasn't wasn't great, was it? I mean, I suppose the only positive you mentioned all the the home teams that won. I suppose Newcastle were one of the only ones that didn't, um, and and, and mm. Villa have got those got got Newcastle next. So I'm expecting. I'm expecting a victory to be honest. I feel like every time I watch Newcastle, right, I just don't just don't see anything in them. And I feel like Villa should should go it should go and get the win against them. But look, um, the performance against Watford was was poor. Yeah, the, the defence was a little bit disjointed. Um incredible, really. Matt Target's had a fantastic sort of 15-16 months, and he was he was absolutely ripped apart by, by Saar. Um Konza and Ming's. Didn't quite look like the solid relate, um, solid partnership that that they that they you know previously were. Matt Cash was very very out of sorts. You know, gave the ball away more times than anybody in the Premier League over the weekend. Did they? Twenty six times.
1: Tell you what, you've done your research this week, Greg. Bloody hell. Yeah,
2: yeah. Well, I, yeah, I, I do sometimes, Dan. To be honest, oh, no. <laughs> um, I'm liking these Wednesday podcasts because uh, it gives me three days to research. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, look, you know, he, he wasn't quite. at It was a. Um, and, uh, and I just felt like there were very, very big gaps between the defence and the midfield. You know, Watford were getting through Villa so often on the, on the counter-attack. It just felt too easy for them.
1: Yeah. I mean, Matt Target. let's talk about him a little bit. Player of the season last year. I can't remember if it was supporters player of the year or players player of the year, but he certainly picked up one of the awards and he was out it was our sorts. he just he just didn't look fit but then he he's i think he's only played one pre-season game and if you're up against uh Ishmael who's who's full of beans after a great pre-season you know it's going to be difficult and he i didn't think Assar did anything special if I'm being perfectly honest people are raving about him and yes he had a good game but, you know he wasn't reinventing the wheel with what he was doing down that down that flank you know he was, he was just running at him yes. that, that that was it and it just seemed to cause us all kinds of problems. They seem to be able to get in and around the penalty area so, so easily and just bypass our defence. And like you said before that, bypass the midfield as well. I mean, the first goal, there's a tinge of unluckiness about it because Conte has made a good block. But as I say, they've got into the penalty area way too easily. I think Martinez should probably save it. As well, the second goal is a big deflection, which yes, is unlucky, but again, they just got into that channel so so easily. And at that point, you've just given yourself a mountain to climb. You can't be giving any team in the Premier League, whether you think they're going to go down or not,
2: you can't give those, can't, can't give any team a two goal lead. No, certainly, you can't. I, I, I thought, I think you're giving, you're not giving sorry enough credit there, Dan. I think, although he wasn't fantastic. He was very direct. Um,
1: Yeah, no, no, I get that.
2: He's a good player. He used his attributes well. He used his attributes to his benefit. He used his pace. Um, Okay, he's not the strongest, but he's very, very quick with his feet. He's he's very quick in in general. Um, And he used that to his advantage and got the better of of target. Ashley Young did a much better job on him in in the second half. In the second half, we didn't see him. Well, yeah, because that was because because of Ashley Young, because he um, handled him much better. But also... I think what people are forgetting is, yeah, yeah, the focus is on that target. He he, he struggled. Like, look, he can't can't dress it up nicely. He struggled, right? But he was so used to having someone very creative in front of him in in, in previous seasons. Jack Grealish, of course, was um, you know the chief contributor for Villa. But Target had Ashley Young in front of him. Now, most people will think, well, that's two fullbacks. They should be doubling up on, on Saar then and getting the better out of him and getting the better of him. But Young wasn't able to trap back quick enough and, and and protect him. And then whenever Young got the ball going forward, he wasn't expansive enough to cause any problems. Whereas in the second half, you've got Baylor, who was causing so much, so many more problems going forward that the Watford, that the right side of Watford actually had to think about it a little bit more. They actually had to think about, right, well, we can't be um, ploughing forward like we were doing in the first half because we've actually got something to worry about defensively. So that's what Villa need to work on. I think they need to um, be more expansive in the attacking areas to give the opposition a little bit more to to, to worry about. Um, And I felt like they did that in the second half. In the first half... He was very poor. Wendy had, I mean, but was probably the worst player on the pitch, if, if we're being honest. Um,
1: not fit though. Again, I think he's only played one. He's definitely played two
2: maximum in pre yeah, season. But yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, look, I, I'm not, I'm not pulling these guys up and, and saying they're not, no, no, they're no. not going to perform over the course of the season. I'm just saying on the 90 minutes alone, I thought Brendan was the worst player. Um, he tried to do too much. He was getting really angry at himself. He he wasn't losing the ball quick enough. Um, I mean. He, the time he spent on the ball you don't get that time in the championship let alone the premier league um and he gave the ball away so so often he just looked a little bit lost to be honest um i, I know we're going to see better better things from him because he's performed so well in england over the years um it just wasn't the best of starts for him um reminded me a little bit of yotta the, the previous uh in the first season
1: was bad. If I, if I'm being honest, the team selection. I know he might have had his hands tied a little bit, Dean Smith. I mean, what what would you have done differently? Off the back of pre season, it's easy to say, and I always say you can't rush kids and stuff like that. But I'd have played down the right flank. It'd be just a bit more direct. I, d- I don't like El Ghazi on the right wing. I don't think it's where you'll see the best of him. Yeah. You'll see the best of him on the left hand side. I think he can be quite inconsistent anyway. And I think if you're throwing him out on the on the right hand side, you're adding to that. I just, he wasn't involved in the game, was he? Because he can't do what he's good at, playing on the right flank. He's not one of those wingers that's blessed with massive pace that can get on the outside and whip a crossing. He likes to cut, it's a bit predictable, but he likes to cut in on his right foot from the left hand side and either get a shot or whip a ball. In. Yeah, he's much better, better on taking, the left. You're in. taking that away, and then you're playing someone on the other flank, in Ashley Young, who probably hasn't played on the wing in the Premier League for, I don't know, three years, four years. You know, you know. Then you've got a new a new striker leading the line on his own, who's used to playing in a two because he's played in a in a two for Southampton the last the last few years. You've got a playmaker in behind him who's not fit. You know, you've just got a disjointed front four, and we all know we've struggled with the balance of the central midfield. Target at left back wasn't fit. You know, you've just there's just problems there all over that team selection for me.
2: Looking at it now, it's. I suppose it's easy to say that, isn't it? Now, and, and yeah, and, I get that. I, I do agree with you. You know, three out of the first, three out of the four attackers um, were all new players, weren't they? And they just didn't look like they were quite, um, quite ready for it. Quite, quite. You know, they, they just, they, as you say, disjointed was probably the best way to describe it. Um, Ings not going to blame him too much because he didn't really get much service, and 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 I think he'll be much better no. in a two. Um, you know, when he's that little bit deeper. Behind Watkins, Um and we, we talk a lot about we talk, we talk a lot about Jack Grealish, don't we? And, and how much Phil missed him, but I think they miss Watkins perhaps more.
1: Yeah, I mean we'll we'll come back to that. I say our special guest has just joined us. There was a little video earlier on in the week from Taffer. Some guy called Greg Evans was on it as well. Even quite a quite a rascal jumper. I, I thought questionable fashion choices for his video debut on the Athletic, but we'll, we'll go with it. It is only one game, so there is no need to panic, but we do know that there is going to be some kind of period of adjustment without Jack Grealish, because Dean Smith obviously heavily built his team around him. So as I say, luckily our friends, the YouTubers extraordinaire at Tifo Football had a little look at how Jack Grealish can be replaced with Villa's systems, Villa's personnel, so JJ is here. Before we hear from him, let's just hear a little clip from that video.
0: Hello, welcome to TIFO IRL. I am JJ Bull, and in this video, we're gonna look at Aston Villa and the enormous 100 million smackaroni-shaped hole that Jack Grealis has left by uh, leaving for Manchester City. And to do that, uh, far better than just having me, I've enlisted the help of Greg Evans, or as he likes to be called, the Athletics' Aston Villa correspondent, Greg Evans. He's gonna tell us a lot more about um, Aston Villa bits and pieces. Here's Greg now.
2: Yeah, it feels like Aston Villa have lost a little bit of everything in in Jack Grealish, hasn't it? So I think it's quite hard to specifically replace Jack Grealish just because he's such a good individual player. Now, what they've tried to do is buy a couple of different players, players that will bring different things to you know to, to the game. Um, the one thing that Dean Smith highlighted at the back end of last season was that Villa tended to give the ball away a little bit too often in the attacking areas when Jack Grealish wasn't on the pitch. Now. That's part of the reason why they signed Leon Bailey. His ball retention levels are, are pretty amazing. So he will help Villa keep possession for longer in the attacking third. And Emi Buendia brings something slightly different because he will press from the front a little bit more. And, and Smith pretty much said all along that he wants his number 10 to be in that mold, somebody who will press defenders all the time.
0: So, as Greg was saying, Dean Smith is looking to change things up a little bit this, uh, this season. He wants to have more variety in the way of Aston Villa play, because last season they were always a 4-3-3 or a 4-2-3-1, kind of predictable. And also because he doesn't have Jack Grealish anymore, so he has to change.
1: Yes, certainly after Saturday we do have to change a little bit too much greg evans in that clip for me but we move obviously if you want to get the full story of that video and expert conclusions you can go to tifo football on youtube and watch the whole thing it's a very nice little 12 minute package perfect to watch whilst you're waiting for the kettle to boil or something like that but let's talk about those early signs for a Grealishless villa and it's a warm 1874 welcome to tifo's jj bull JJ, thanks very much for popping on, especially at this horrible, horrible hour. Yeah, we record the podcast at 8am and it isn't popular when we try and get guests. How are you? Uh, I'm awake and that's good enough for me. It's a a good start being awake. He's probably more so than than me, to be fair. But (laughs) just for those that don't know, who who are Tifo and what exactly do you guys do?
0: Um, We are the sort of weird part of The Athletic where we do uh, lots of tactical analysis videos over on youtube um but we've got a channel we've launched about May called tifo irl which is a uh, where that particular video was on where it's yeah if all illustrated um like these lovely drawings that we've got very talented illustrators that do all these lovely drawings um and like like seb Safford, blue and alex stewart and myself will often write those kind of things but now irl is actually us on camera um with a tactics board like a a TIFO version of the the Sky Sports pad, Jamie Carragher yeah, it's and Guy Neville. That's nice. lovely to use. It's fun, and um, so we do that. Yeah, so we've done a lot of stuff with that, and uh, it's re- it's just really fun. And that's what we do. Yeah, We're the, the weird part of the athletic that does with the analysis bits of football in real life on YouTube.
1: <laughs> and I know what a challenge it can
0: be working with Greg. How, how did you find it? Uh, a model of professionalism. His uh, entire bit was done in about 15 minutes. Like, we'd think it would take about, you know, he's got to travel all the way from like, near Birmingham. So you'd think he'd, he'd want to justify that with a good, solid bit of work that takes some time. But he just did everything in one take. So that's what you're working with, a true great of his time.
2: Greg, how come you can do TIFO in one take, but not not this podcast? Look, I got—I I mean, JJ, I couldn't have put it better myself, to be honest, mate. But <laughs> <laughs> it was in one take, actually, Dan, and and so are these podcasts. I don't impressive. know what you're on about. These podcasts run absolutely seamlessly. So, what are you, what what's your
0: uh, what are you on about here? Do you know? It's just. It's just the um, the skill of director that you had in me with working behind the scenes, I suppose. <laughs> and maybe that's what needs to improve in the podcast, I
2: suppose. The one thing I did struggle with was trying to speak and um, use the tactics board. So uh, kudos to... Oh, did you use the tactics well, board? Ver, well? Ever so slightly. I did give it a little go. Um, oh. Yeah, as I say, fa- fair play to Jamie Carragher and co who do it very, very well on Sky Sports. So um, it's not quite as easy as it looks.
1: Yeah, and JJ, obviously we don't want to give away the whole video because we want people to, to go and click on it and watch it, but Villa's life without Jack Grealish off the back of your video did not start well on, on Saturday. I don't know how much of it y- you've seen, but it, it wasn't a great start.
0: I've seen, not not the full game, but I've seen uh, a lot of it on the old White Scouts and uh, the highlights, but I don't know if it, I mean, I know the scoreline was bad and obviously looked terrible, but I mean, it was two mistakes in that first half that let Watford into them. Like I know uh, Smith wants them to, like Greg was saying in the video, he wants them to not lose the ball so much in the attacking phases of play because then they're they're open. But I mean, it was Matt Target and uh, Nakamba, I think it was Nakamba passed the ball across the middle of the pitch and it got intercepted. And then Watford are set up for that. You get Saar and Seymour, it's just ready. They're waiting for that to pounce on it. And without that, they wouldn't be able to take the lead. And then once you're chasing the game, it means you leave more space behind, so they can counter. So I wouldn't think it's. I don't think it's that bad. The one thing I think I'd agree that it didn't look great was that I felt they kind of turned up looking a little bit like they thought it would be easier than it was. But they yeah. weren't quite sharp enough, is what I noticed. Particularly players like Target and, and the Canberra, they just weren't quite on it. You know, you can see, there's they're a little bit off the pace. Yeah, I mean, we, we've we've just spoke about the system and the personnel that were
1: picked from, from your video, What? how do you think Villa should set up when everyone's fit? Obviously, that, that's a problem as well. Not everyone was available. Not everyone was fit. Watkins was a, was certainly a massive miss.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I like the idea of having Ings and Watkins either dovetailing with Watkins playing off the left, maybe coming inside and you've got the overlap from target to give you your width. Uh, I think when Dia was best when I saw him at Norwich when he's playing off of the right and going on to his left. When you play him as a 10, you maybe lose a bit uh maybe doesn't give you the defensive kind of part of the game that you'd want as a second forward. So if you play Ings and Watkins, I think you get a bit more of that. I think the 4-3-3 might work better. Last season, it was almost always a 4-2-3 run, right? And they had Grealish with either in the left or as the 10 to the middle. But the th- although Grealish is obviously a brilliant player and all of Villa's play went through him last season, you might find it's a bit... Better balance going forward this season. And once Bailey's into the team, like he, he's a really good player, Bailey. And get yeah, him in. Yeah, right. you, get, you get him on the ball. What's he? I think he set up one of the goals. And I mean, on the left, he's already straight on. Yeah, yeah. his first team, well, his first first kind of run created a goal. And, I mean, that's the kind of thing you want, right? And You might yeah. be like rather if you have everything going through Grealish and he wins your fouls and gets goals and assists, uh, very important to the team. But you might find that opposition teams. Can't just focus on the one guy they're coming up against and that better balance across it with Bailey, with El Ghazi, maybe Budia. When Watkins and Ings are there as well, it's just going to give them more things to worry about in opposition set up and how they deal with it rather than knowing that if you stop Grealish, there's a fair chance you can keep them quiet. And then, of course, John McGinn will just come through and <laughs> save everyone anyway. So it's.
1: Yeah, he was definitely one of the better players in the second half. Lo- lovely goal as well. Before you counter signed to Greg. Like, you score a lovely goal. You've been wanting to go to an away game for 18 and... months. You don't celebrate because you know you've, you've 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 lost the game already. Bit of shame because that was a really really nice goal from John McGinn. I will give away one thing from from your video actually because you talked a little bit about Villa perhaps being able to play three at the back, and I got to say from the teams you went through that that looked like it had the best balance to me.
0: Yeah, but then if you're playing three, I find teams who play at three unless you've got players of the standard of like an amazing Barcelona or I actually, tend to be more counter attack based and. It's, like It can work. It makes you look really balanced. When I mean, you look at Chelsea. They've absolutely destroyed teams doing it. They haven't scored very many. And whether that's because the system is quite defensively minded or because they just keep missing their chances is something that I can't really quite work out yet. We'll see when the Kaku makes a difference to them. But if you have the balance of the three, I mean, you get your wide players, you get cash and target and push higher up. Maybe you can play, you mean, Young was playing as a wing back for Inter Milan as well. So you get that as an option. It <laughs> I think it's easier to stop teams playing against you in possession if you're playing with that three, because most of your play has to go through the wide areas. And so you're relying on your your wing backs to be excellent 1v1. And the teams who've done it very well, like Conte's Chelsea, I mean, the the wide inside forwards, you had uh, Hazard and I've forgotten who it was, I think William on the other side, like two brilliant players, pretty much in their peak. And you can get them 1v1 and they can do damage. Whereas Villa's wingers, Bailey might be able to do things 1v1 when D is more of a player goes into the pockets, but you want him to be able to move into the 10 space from that. I, like it, it, it might work. McGinn and the camp is your midfield two, so you can definitely get away with a three and then push the other boys forward if you if you drop attack a tackle player out of there. But don't know, I think it's more fun to watch teams who don't play a three. It's, it's kind of a stupid thing to say because any system can do a lot of, lot of things. And Most teams will now play with a four that becomes a three, so the numbers don't really matter. But I think you'll probably find them. You can match up against the likes of, I know Chelsea. It's worth even doing against Liverpool to so the extra space to block. But personally, I like teams to push forward a little bit more and not like they defend by attacking. It's it's not always the best option because you leave yourself open. I mean, look at the way Watford were able to tear through space that was there. But I don't know if a back three would have made any difference to that. The way they defended those goals. I mean, it was. His players quite out of position because of a mistake. And that that if you do that, it's, at any game in the Premier League, if you make a mistake like that, you're going to be in a bit of trouble because you're punished. By like, I mean, it's Sar, Like it's it's only Watford's, but it's, that boy Sar is a really good player, and he was just on to anything that was uh, he was able to. And it's when you're playing against Man United, look a good day where, hmm. yeah, it's not going to be ideal. So maybe you're right. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, so I think we'll certainly mix it
1: up a little bit more than we did last season and that's one of the takeaways as well I think we were quite rigid in terms of systems last season this season it seems like there's a lot more flexibility with the personnel that we have before we let JJ go back to bed Greg what was your, your biggest takeaway from doing that video with the Tfo
2: guys um, that it takes a long time to get to London for a six minutes interview okay
1: <laughs> no, give us a
2: pro give us a proper take. No, no, it's it's a really, really professional setup. Um I think the guys are so knowledgeable. Uh, I mean look, you know, me and you, Dan, we are supposed to know everything about about just Villa, aren't we? But you know, the guys they know so much about all the all the clubs. Um they, they do a fantastic job and, and they're just really fun as well. You know, they make it all so they make the, the video so easily digestible and just 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 enjoyable to watch, really. Um yeah, you know, I think football Football can get a little bit serious at times, can't can it? And you know the present presen- yeah, presentations the can just be a bit too serious and formal. But you know the, the guys are really knowledgeable, but they they just make it fun as well. So that, that's probably my biggest takeaway.
1: JJ, thanks ever so much for joining us this morning. It's been a pleasure. Hopefully, speak to you again.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been a lovely time.
3: Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu.
1: Hi Greg, thanks for underselling me at the end of the end of that little segment there. I do do I do, do other things <laughs> other than Villa now, you know. For the Athletic, I'm on the Athletics Football Show now. I'm an all rounder, not not just Villa for me. I forgot, forgot
2: Bram Bardell was um, uh, Damn, was, was was boosting in, in, in and <laughs> going <laughs> into England new, England as new areas. Well. I'm all
1: over it. Yeah, speak speak for yourself. With only I did, nine, nine, do you know nine what I did? I break. did
2: actually see a lot of uh, selfies popping up um, on on Twitter from from randomers over the over the weekend. Did Did you find just people coming up to you asking for a picture with you now you're so famous?
1: I'm not going to say it doesn't happen. It, it, it does happen. It's, it's still something that I find a, a little bit weird, but I obviously like speaking to people and like, like speaking to Villa fans, so it's it's not a problem at all. There'll be people listening to this thinking, why on earth would anyone want their photo taken with you? They- and I'll to be honest, I wouldn't blame them for thinking do they that. they ask you to sign their shirts as well? I have signed a programme in the past. And a ball, actually. I've doesn't wear things in my life. That I've not done anything like like that for a while, and I wouldn't anticipate doing it anytime soon. Let's finish our Watford chat. We were about to talk about Watkins before JJ joined us. and I suppose when you're missing your best player from last season or your best player for the last few years in Jack Reddish, and then you take your top goal scorer and best presser out of the team as well for the first game. I suppose that is going to make it difficult to get going up the top.
2: Yeah, definitely. Look, on the Tifo video that I did, I gave Wendy the big sell and saying that he will help press. um, And that's what Dean Smith wanted. But we didn't really see that. He will. He he will eventually, I'm sure. But we we didn't really see that against Watford. Um, And then with Watkins not in the team as well, um, Villa just really missed something. And. You know, I, I, we spoke to Dean Smith after the game, and, and he said, "If Ollie Watkins had been playing, then the Watford defence wouldn't have had in, wouldn't have had as much time on the ball as they did." Um, yeah. And and look, you know that 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 type of influence can change the game considerably he can he can limit the amount of attacks and and just switch the focus onto Villa more so than Watford so um let's hope that his injury isn't a serious one that he's back quite soon um I actually thought Bertrand Trey did really well when he came on as well I thought he made a difference the three subs all did well the three subs were the best
1: three players on the pitch for Villa and and
2: look that that what, what JJ said there is yeah Villa have sold Grealish now, but there's going to be more of a balance to the team. If you look at the squad, uh, the 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 substitutes bench, it's much, much stronger than it was last season. You feel like you've got a lot of attacking options to come on. Um, The the only issue we've got with Troy now is that we believe he's picked up a a, a niggle, you know, hamstring injury. So we're waiting to find out the severity of that. But yeah, look, the sooner Watkins is back, the better because not only did he score a lot of goals for Villa last season, he really did set the tempo um, and and they need him up there.
1: Yeah, he scored in both the home and away games against Newcastle, so you'd fancy him if he was fit on Saturday. We we certainly need him back. It was a massive miss. Just quickly, the main takeaway from being in the away end were people, Villa fans, were not happy with, with central midfield, they're not happy with with the combinations that we have. We've got a lot of central midfielders, but I think the Villa fans are quite antsy that we, we don't really have the right combination at the moment. If I don't ask you about transfers, people aren't going to be happy. So is there any movement? Is there anything going on?
2: Um, Yeah, sorry to give you a boring answer, but look, we know that Villa have been after James Watt-Prowse. Uh, I said it last week on the podcast that it's going to be very difficult to get that deal done purely because Southampton don't want to sell him. Um, He's their captain. Uh, if Filler put up a very very big bid, then there might be a chance. But I just can't see that happening at the moment. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if Filler were done, but I do still think that they will get one more um, signing. I'd hope it would be in in defensive midfield. Um, look, that area is very packed, isn't it? You've got
1: someone would have to move out, wouldn't? Well, they? This, they
2: is got, they this is got it. This is it. You've midfield, got right? you've got you've got McGinn. Um, McGinn and the Canberra started Louise has come back from the Olympics now Um, I think Villa anticipated a little bit more interest in Louise this summer and and were willing to move him on that hasn't arrived Um, whether it does in the final few weeks of the window I just can't see that either and then you've also got Sanson coming back from injury Jacob Ramsey um, and there's one more I think isn't there Chortomek is more of a ten, isn't it? Yeah, Chortomek is a ten. You know, he he won't be doing much defense. Connor's still he, knocking he, around, but he'll, he'll, he'll go. You'd expect he will, will go. Yeah, of course. Um, whether that's on loan or permanently, um, so look, you know, that the, the if, if Connor goes, then there's then there's then five midfielders battling for those two midfield spots. So somebody's going to be left out, and um, you can only
1: register twenty five people <laughs> as
2: well. That, so there's that as well, of course. Yeah. So look. I do think Villa will will try and do one, but I'm not 100% sure whether they'll get it over the line. Fingers crossed they do because, um, you know, that that little bit more of competition in there there might help. Um, And yeah, I agree with some of the supporters. We've said on many podcasts in the past, Villa do need probably a new defensive midfielder if they're going to progress further up the league.
1: Yeah, I mean Southampton want absolutely ridiculous money for, for Ward-Price, I think, so it is a struggle to see that one happening. But he is the one that they've chased all summer, you know, you never know, you get to the end of the window, might decides that they, they want to pay that and go for him. But we'll see what happens. Let's not talk about Watford ever again until we play them later on in the season. But there was some other news in the last couple of days, not really news that really affects me in any way, but we're going to talk about it anyway. The Foo Fighters are coming to play at Villa Park, Greg. The top three this week is the top three Foo Fighters song, and I can only name one song, so we have to go over to you. <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, Greg Evans loves to rock out to the
2: <laughs> the Foo Fighters, don't you? you? Look, I love the Foo Fighters. I'm I'm not really into that genre of music, but. Um, my one of my best mates who, who I used to who, who I used to live with um, is a is a massive Foo Fighters fan. So whenever we'd have house parties, I, I'd I'd always have my uh, my garage and house music on, and and he'd be trying to interject with Foo Fighters songs. <laughs> so that's how I that's how pretty much how I, I got to to know them um, and and love them. Really, I think think they're a great band, and, and really looking forward to to seeing them at Villa Park. I I will be hoping to get a ticket for that one. So yeah, top three. I'll sort you out, I'll
1: sort you out. Yeah,
2: you get you get the contacts, Dan. Come on, you get me a ticket. I, I know you can sort me out, mate. Um, You've
1: been good to me, so I, I'm going to make that my my ambition. To I'll,
2: I'll have two you. then, please, uh, if, 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 oh, if okay. we're on it. So. Um, okay. Right, top three, bloody hell. I mean, I, I could pick about 20 songs of the Foo Fighters, so it's hard to condense them, but um, number three... <laughs> I'll say Everlong, uh, very, very catchy song. Takes your- Got to give me a line, Greg. Oh, come on, I'm not, singing. I'm not singing. No, yeah, I'm not. Up. Come on, move on. Go and look on YouTube or something. Go and listen to it properly. I can't give Dave Grohl any um, uh, any justice with my, with my tone. So um, you go and listen to it on YouTube. But, yeah, look, it's a really catchy one. Um, takes you on a bit of a journey, doesn't it? So uh, that's uh, number three. Number two. Two. Probably one that not so many others will agree with, but one that I really like. It's a song called Hey Johnny Park, Um, a little bit softer, really nice contrast between the guitars and and, and Dave Grohl's voicing in the chorus. But um, number one will be... All My Life just an incredible song very heavy very dark at times um and and really brings the best out of Dave Grohl as a front man I think um I remember this one when I was at a festival and I'd only ever been to um dance and 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 house and techno festivals um and and I went to sort of I went to Reading and Leeds I think it was but it was at Reading and and the Foo Fighters were there and I was in the middle of a mosh pit and this song come on and I thought wow was oh greg
1: evans no, yeah, it, was, it was amazing i was like I do you know, know what? what it really
2: up. opened my eyes to like other genres because I, I, I only really like garage and, and speed garage and, and house and stuff so um when i was in the middle of that mosh pit i used i just thought i've got to be a bit more open-minded in in the years ahead and, and i have been since so really looking forward to them coming to villa park
0: Villa really did
1: walk out to a Foo fire song it only lasted a couple of games. I have no idea whose idea what was. I don't know whether your really? mate was on the, on the PA for a few games <laughs> or something. But they, but they did walk out to the best of you or best of me, whatever it's called, for a couple of games. I think it was Lambert. And then they quickly went back to what they were walking out to before, after a couple of games. I don't know why on earth that happened, but it did. don't remember that, to be honest. No, you wouldn't. It was. I've got a weird memory for things like that. But yeah, they definitely took two. It was not like two random home games at the start of the season. And Lambert it might have even been Lambert's first season. For some reason, we we walked out to to, to that song. Like I say, your mate must have been on the PA. Something weird, really, really happened going on there. Thankfully, that's about it for this week. And next up, Villa playing Newcastle at Villa Park, which we have to win because our producer is a Newcastle fan. I'm not even gonna. To... Read out what he's wrote in the script, actually. But yeah, we don't want to be doing a podcast next week about a Newcastle victory. That would be an absolute disaster. Sorry we didn't get to any of your messages this week, but we do want to hear with you. So please, please do get in touch. And subscribers can use the real time section of the Athletic website or app. And Greg and myself are very easy to find on Villa Twitter. Don't forget that offer where there's a third off subscriptions to the Athletic at the moment. Just head to theathletic.com slash Villa pod and that should sort you right out. Until next time, Thanks to Jojo Ball from TIFO for joining us earlier. And of course, Greg, as always. And thanks to you guys as well for listening. Up the Villa.
0: Athletic.